welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I just want to say this, that, you know, for those of you that, uh, uh, and encourage you as somebody that was just in Israel, as a reminder, as a pastor, as a leader, uh, to really put Psalms 122 on your heart during this season. And that says this in verse 6 to 7, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I love that. May they prosper who love you. May they prosper. Whoever loves Israel, whoever loves Jerusalem, may they prosper. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. Let this be a verse that, that you're reminded of in your everyday, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem to pray because Jerusalem has a very, very, very strategic place in eschatology, the end times. In Jesus' second return, he's returning to the Mount of Olives in a physical location in Jerusalem. So it's very important we understand the role, and I'm not going to get too far into that, but I just want to say this, like Israel, all people are important, number one. Okay, I just want to say that. All people are important. Nobody likes casualties of war. We agree with that. Okay? But there is no exception for terrorists. There is no exception for terrorists. Now, God loves the terrorists. God loves the drug lord. God loves the people the same, but does not accept the act of terror. I want to make that very clear. We stand with Israel. We stand as a house with Israel. We stand for the peace of Israel. We're believing for peace on all the sides. We're believing for God to move. God, listen, God is moving right now in Gaza. God is moving in Gaza. There's reports coming out of Gaza where hundreds of Muslims are encountering Jesus in dreams and giving their lives to Jesus in Gaza right now. Like amazing things are happening, but we can't forget that there is a very important biblical understanding that we need to have as to the role of Israel and Jerusalem in the end times. You know, I don't know if you saw this uh, about the Turkish member of parliament. Did anybody see that? And I, I don't, you know, I'm not celebrating at all. Hear me. I'm not celebrating death. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying you don't mess with Israel. And I say that if you understand the Bible and biblical history, you don't mess with Israel. The Turkish member of parliament, it was Hassan Bitmez, 54 years old, shouted a speech in parliament last week while I was in Israel saying, Israel shall suffer the wrath of Allah. Right away after he said that, he collapsed and died two days later. He collapsed in parliament right after he said that. If that doesn't make you wonder, I don't know what blindfold you're wearing. That doesn't make you wonder a little bit, man, what is happening? 
let me tell you, there is a supernatural God that's real. You don't mess with. Powerful. You know, of course, we don't celebrate death. We're not celebrating this at all. I'm just saying, hey, let's wake up to the reality of be careful who you mess with. And I say this across the board with any leader, with any leader, I don't care if you disagree with them. If you're cursing Justin Trudeau, watch out. I would say don't curse any leader. You're called to honor and pray for your leaders. You may disagree with them. Honor and pray. Your job is not to curse. Your job is not to call out. Your job is to pray and honor. So that's not my message, but I just wanted to say that as a little bit of a on-ramp. So I'm excited about January 7th. I want to share with you a little bit about my trip. And uh, I might sneak some stuff in here during this morning, but who knows. I want to dive into Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And I believe this is a word for us during the Christmas season. I believe this is a word for us during the Christmas season to go into the Christmas season with an expectation of this. And I was sharing this during our pre-experience prayer, which by the way, uh, come January 14th, please join us for our pre-experience prayer at, at 8.55. Join us uh, to just, we pray for the service, we pray, we kind of share a little bit what's happening, we worship together, it's a powerful time. Philippians chapter 4, 6 to 14, this is one of the prison letters that Paul writes, one of four that Paul writes. He writes, he's writing these letters from prison, from a place of, let's say, bondage of sorts. He's shackled. He says this, don't worry about anything. How many would worry if they're in prison? Most people worry when they're in a hard time. They worry when they're in a crisis. He's encouraging people while he's in prison, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace. He's giving us a then. Then you will experience peace. If you want peace... Listen to what I'm saying, which exceeds anything we can understand is peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Change the way you see life. Change the way you think about things. Some of us have a trauma perspective about life, a crisis perspective about life, a negative Nancy perspective about life. Everything is negative. The glass is always half full or half empty. It's sort of an always a negative vantage point. Fix your thoughts. Change your thought processes, what you fix your thoughts on. Focus on what is true, honorable, and right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about these things that are excellent. I love this. And worthy of praise. What's worthy of praise? Think about good things. That's what he's saying. Be positive. Think about the good things that are worthy of praise. Verse 9. Keep putting into practice. Everyone say practice. It's like reps at the gym. If you want to get bigger, if you want to grow muscle, you got to put the practice in, the reps in. Repetition, over and over again. All you learned and received from me, put the practice in. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God, listen to this, and the God of peace will be with you. You will have an exchange, an experience of peace. If you're putting in the reps, if you're putting in the work, you're going to have an experience of peace that's different if you're not putting in the work. Verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you concern, you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I ever was in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. 
I know how to live almost on nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation to be content, really is what he's saying, whether it's a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do, you've heard this verse many times, this is not the verse I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on today, but you've heard this verse, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know this verse probably, you've heard it. People tattoo it on their bodies all the time. Verse 14, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. He's talking about in this context, you sent a gift, you helped me out generously. You didn't need to. I wanted you to know like I could do it on my own. You didn't need to, but thank you because you, because you gave to the cause and you were benevolent towards me, you are sharing in this present difficulty with me. I'm here in prison. There's a sharing that's happening when you give. When you give your time, when you give your gifts, when you give your money. People ask me, people ask me uh, uh, why did I go to Israel last week? There's lots of reasons, and I'll share more about that on January 7th. But they ask me why. And I think at the end of the day, one of the best ways for me to explain and express why was sometimes when you're in a crisis, it's not about somebody bringing you a, food, a meal giving you money, giving you gift, all that is great. It's all supportive. Sometimes you just want someone to show up at your house and just be there with you. That's what going to Israel was like. In fact, the number one comment that I got from every, literally every Israeli, every Jewish person that I encountered while I was there was like, thank you for just being here right now. Thank you for hearing. Please share what's happening because the news is not doing a good job of it that was the number one response that we got like jewish and israeli people in the both the military in the idf leaders business leaders weeping because we just showed up to their house during a time of crisis sometimes that's all you need to do is show up and just be there on the ground that's at the core why we went says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Powerful, powerful verse. Now, I'm not going to talk about this, but something that we need to understand is when Paul is saying this, he's saying this from a place of prison. Gives you a little bit of context. What he's saying is that I choose to engage the resistance. And in engaging the resistance, I have a promise that I can get through it because it's God who gives me strength to engage the resistance. That's what he's saying. I can do all things. I choose to get into the fray of resistance in life, knowing that I will be able to overcome in life because I have God's strength backing me in life. That's what he's saying. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The premise is this. I choose to engage the resistance. We run from resistance. We run from crisis. We run from difficulty. But God wants us to get into the fight. You realize that? God wants you to get into the battle. Don't run from it. Your trauma maybe is trying to rob you and pull you away from trauma. But listen, if, you're, if you have a relationship with Jesus, know that he's in the fight with you. And when you engage the resistance and you engage the fight of life and you engage it with him, he'll give you the strength you need to overcome. And you'll be able to do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Amen. So I, I today, this is the word that I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me for you in this season. He said, Sean, I want to I wage a war on worry. 
And especially during a time like this. Man, so many people are worrying. I mean, if you just watch the news for like 10 minutes, you're going to go into worry mode. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, like social media, like uh, 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 news outlets, like all these things that we see are bombarded with every day have this triggering effect on worry in our life. This is why Paul is saying, listen, focus on things that are praiseworthy. Because I can be worried right now. I'm in prison. Like, I may never, ever get out of this prison. I can be worried. But I'm saying to you, I'm encouraging you while I'm in prison not to worry. Because it's a war. There's a war on worry. I'm encouraging you to not let worry guide you. I'm I'm encouraging you to fix your thoughts on what's honorable, what's praiseworthy, what's excellent. Because if you can do that, you can overcome worry. If you do that, you will win the war on worry. So we're talking about the war on worry. And I want to give you four keys, I believe, four keys to wage war that we see in this passage. Four simple steps to wage war against worry in your life that you're experiencing right now. Maybe for you it's worry that you're not going to have enough to pay the bills at the end of the year. Maybe it's the Christmas time. You're going to go into debt. You feel like you've overextended yourself. Maybe it's um, worry that you're going to be lonely and alone during Christmas. Maybe it's worry that you're going to start 2024 and you just feel like you never accomplished any of the things that you wanted to accomplish in 2023. And so you just feel the guilt and the shame of that. And so you're worried that 2024 is going to be a repeated cycle of the struggle of 2023. I don't know what the worry is for you, but I want to give you some keys and steps to overcome worry in this chapter of your life. Number one, write this down. Write this down. Prayer and thankfulness. Prayer and thankfulness. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, listen to what he says. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. He says, then you will experience God's peace. If you want, listen, peace is the very opposite of worry. If you want to overcome worry, you need the peace of God. To experience the peace of God, you got to get the worry out of your mind. Throw the worry out the window and get some worship inside the house. Because worry will war against your worship. And worry is a form of worship. I don't know if you know this. When you are meditating on the things that are not happening in your life, and you're meditating on the things that are troubling you, and you're meditating on all the bills you need to pay, and you're worrying, and you're worrying about your children, and you're worrying about your spouse, and you're worrying and worrying and worrying, you are, that's a form of meditation. It's a form of worship. You are worshiping worry. It's robbing your worship to the one who deserves your worship. It's, it's literally becoming a god to you, where it's literally so engulfing your very, all of your thoughts that you can't, you can't escape it. God wants to give us some keys to escape it this morning. Prayer and thankfulness to, to let it all out, to say, okay, God, like I, I'm struggling, I, I'm struggling, and I know what Paul said, I'm struggling, but I'm going to pray about everything. Instead of worrying about everything, I'm going to pray about everything. Instead of worrying about my job, worrying about my income, worrying about my money, worrying about my house, worrying about this, worrying about that, I'm going to pray about it all. How many people do you know that vomit their worry on you that have spent an hour praying about their worry before they vomited? Nobody. Nobody. Probably nobody. If you spend an hour, and I'm just using an hour as an example, processing your worry with God in relationship, praying about it, I'm telling you, you will not have to vomit on your neighbor. Pray and be thankful. 
Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Prayer and thankfulness go together. You cannot pray right if thankfulness is not interjected into that communication. Because thankfulness is the fruit of faith. Thankfulness is a sign of a renewed mind. To be thankful when you're in the midst of worry is a sign that you have a renewed mind. That somehow you're able to separate and draw a dividing line between what really is important and what you think is important. What really is important is that you find moments or you find the positive or you find what is worthy of thankfulness. What you think is important is meditating on your worry. Thinking that your worry is going to somehow solve an issue for you. It's just not. Prayer and thankfulness. Are you with me? Then you will experience God's peace. Write this down. Worry is a now response to a potential future outcome. That's what worry is. Worry is a now response to a potential future outcome. I say potential because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So your worry today has no value for you in the tomorrow. Your worry today has no value for you in the future because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen in the new year. You don't know what's going to happen when that bill shows up at your house. You may or may not have the money, but why worry? Now, here's what maybe you're saying. Well, if I don't worry, maybe I won't get the job done. I won't do the thing I need to do to actually position myself to handle the bill. No, worry is never a good thing. Trusting God with the process and saying, okay, what can I do to position myself is a whole other thing. That's called wisdom. Wisdom and worry are not sharing the same bed. Wisdom is in a whole different room of the house. They don't share the same room. Wisdom is going to guide you forward away from worry. Worry will keep you down. And we're fighting, I think, often wars that we're not called to fight because of a lack of perspective. Even if a future outcome is inevitable, you can still find peace. Because you're saying, well, what about if something is going to happen, and no matter what I do, it's going to happen? There are those moments. No matter what I do, it's going to happen. Can I be worried? No. Worry, you're, never, you're never given an invitation to stay worried, to be worried. Because even in the midst of worry, you can still find peace. Even in the midst of something inevitable that will happen, you can still be in peace. It's a peace, verse 7, that surpasses your understanding. Listen to what it says in verse 7, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. In other translations, it says a peace that surpasses your understanding, your logic. So it doesn't make sense. God wants to give you a peace that surpasses your logic. Your logic is like, well, God, okay, so I, I, have, I have one month left before the account dries out. But somehow I have a supernatural peace in my soul that surpasses that understanding that if I don't pay the bill, I'm losing my house. You follow me? That's the kind of peace that God wants to give you. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand how I can have peace in this time. I don't understand how I can have peace in a time where I'm struggling. I don't understand how I can have peace. When my wife was literally on her deathbed about to die in 2014, I wrestled with worry. But I wrestled myself through worry using this very passage. And I remember being in the stairwell. I remember calling one of my staff members and weeping over the phone, thinking that my, I was going to be a single dad with three kids. At the time I had three kids. I was going to be a single dad with three kids. 
My wife was rushed to the hospital. She was second in the highest risk of the whole, uh, all of the general uh, rushed next to a guy that had his insides explode. And so she was rushed in. And uh, I remember talking in the stairwell to one of my staff members and weeping over the phone and being in worry and processing it out, but then shifting. I remember the shifting. I remember thinking about this passage and all of a sudden opening myself up to peace through prayer and thanksgiving, which elevated my perspective. And instantaneously, I had a peace. It's all going to be good. I couldn't explain it. I just knew. It's a peace that surpasses all the understanding. I mean, even, even I'll tell you this. Even when I, so I will tell you this. In October, on October 7th, when uh, the Israel went, went to war, and I had been there already twice before, and so this was my third time going, and so I, I had felt a connection, of course, to the land, both, both biblically speaking, because I, I studied the Bible, so I see the value but I've been there, and I've, I've had incredible experiences there. I know we have a family that's from there. Abigail and her family are from there. And, uh, and they still have family there. But I, I was watching the news. I don't watch the news most of the time anymore. I, I mean, um, I very rarely watch the news. Very rarely. But when this happened, I was absorbed into the news. I wanted to know what was happening. I wanted to hear what was happening. And probably about five days in, I told my wife one day, and this is often how God will speak to me, and I felt pulled. I said to my wife, I said to Michelle, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to be in Israel right now. I, don't, I know this doesn't make sense. It surpasses my understanding. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How would I get there? there no flights were even going in and out at that point at all. And I said, I feel like I'm supposed to be in Israel right now. I don't know why. I don't know how, but I feel like I'm supposed to be on the ground there in Israel. She's like, yeah, well, whatever, you're not going because, <laughs> you know. And um, so I said this, and I, but I felt something on it. And usually when I, can, I feel the pull, I'm like, this is one of the ways that God will communicate. And so five days later, I'm on a plane flying to Edmonton, and I get a text message as a private invitation, an all-paid-for trip to Israel to do a solidarity mission, the first of its kind, with 11 other lead pastors from around the world. And being the only Canadian, I would represent Canada. And I text my wife, I'm like, hey, just before you go out of peace and into worry, remember what I told you. How can you argue the confirmation? Five days later, I get a text, private invitation. That trip was supposed to happen in November. It got postponed to December. And then, it, and then of course, it happened. And you know what? Leading up to it, you know, honestly, you know, I probably did a bad thing. Because I showed my kids, I educated my kids, I was watching it in the house, they saw what was happening in Israel, and then when I told them I'm going to Israel, they were like, you're going to die if you go to Israel. That was their only thought process. You know, one of them even, you know, kind of just broke down and was like, you're going to die in Israel if you go to Israel. I'm like, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, I'm not going to die in Israel if I go to Israel. But just in their response, one of my kids just just overwhelmed with emotion because I had been sowing seeds of this is what's happening. Like, they had been absorbed in it too. And so two days prior to Israel, I find out that we're going to the border of Gaza. I didn't actually know we were going to the border of Gaza two days prior, and I have to sign this military, basically, death waiver document. 
didn't tell my wife that because I was already committed at that point. So I'm just like, uh, just going to add some fuel to the fire. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's called wisdom. It's called wisdom. Um, I was too late, man. My foot was already across the pond at that point. Um, I signed this death waiver, and that made it real. So I'm like, ooh, I didn't know I was like, wearing bulletproof vests when I'm there. I didn't know I was wearing protective gear. I didn't know we were going. Um, but I'm, I'm open. I'm trusting you. Because how many know when God opens a door and then if things are disrupted or changed, sometimes you wouldn't go through the door if you knew everything that's going to happen after the door. I, I entered the door. I was like, I'm all in. I know this is God. And then God gave me the details later. That's how it works usually in the kingdom, by the way. God will give you a dream, but he'll never tell you what you have to go through to see the dream fulfilled. Because you'd be out. You'd be like, no way. I don't want that suffering. So I'm, I'm like, I'm wrestling a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I need a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm like, I actually have more fear, not from my life, more fear of the fear of my kids, of how they feel in the process. That's where my, all of my emotion is going towards. I feel like I'm going to be fine. But where my worry is, is how they are going to feel when I leave. That's where my worry lies. So I, I, I honestly, I, I struggled. And then that week, to add fuel to the fire, that same week, I had a dream. And I had a dream that I missed the holiday dream on Saturday. And the only reason why I would miss the holiday dream, because I was arriving on Friday from Israel, was to be because I was stuck in Israel. So I had this dream the week before I go to Israel that I'm stuck in Israel, and I miss our event on Saturday. And that in the dream, actually, they... I was robbed while I was in the dream. So now, and I'm, I'm a dream guy. Like, man, I teach on dreams. So I'm, like, paying attention. And I understand 80% of my dreams. So I'm, I know this is a God dream. In the dream, I knew this was a warning. And I'm, like, I really hope it's not, like, a bad thing. I'm, like, writing all my passwords out. I gave all my passwords to my wife. I'm, like, these are all the, make sure you know all the accounts. Everything's here on documents. I, I'm not joking. I did that. Um, just in case. This is our life insurance policy. This is everything. Um, but I have this dream. So now I'm like, uh, there's more fuel to the fire. So I'm, I'm feeling the worry creep in a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But once again, it's more about my kids, what they would feel. I go there. I'm released to go there. And I don't come back. And, and you know, they're left with, you know, no father. Like, that's what I'm thinking right now. And I'm thinking the worst case scenario here. It's not going to happen. I'm not feeling it's going to happen inside. But I'm like, my mind is wrestling with a little, with a, with a, a little bit. And um, I had this dream, so I felt like the Lord said to me, it was a warning dream. Because sometimes you'll get dreams where they're, they're going to happen whether you do anything about it or not. And then there's warning dreams to actually encourage you to pray. Okay, and you have to discern the difference. So Matt drove me to the airport and I told him, I didn't even tell, I actually forgot to tell my wife this dream. It's probably the Lord because it would have added more fuel to the fire. So here I got a death waiver signed document and then I got the dream. And I'm like, shoot. So I'm in the car with Matt. I said, Matt, hey, I remember I told you, I said, if something happens, like, you, you can help around the house a little bit, help my wife around the house a little, right? Remember I told you that? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Anyways, that was a probably a shocking statement to make. He's driving me to the airport. I said, listen, Matt, I had this dream. I haven't told anybody yet. And I had this dream, and I said, like, I feel like we need to pray that something potentially could happen. There needs to be, like, a timeline moved. Something's going to happen, potentially, to keep me stuck in, in, in Israel. And, uh, so I, I, I felt like we need to pray. And interestingly enough, the whole week I was there, I was kind of looking. I'm like, what's going to happen? I'm like imagining because I know my dream life. Like I know how this is going to play out. And uh, I leave on Friday night or Thursday night at 1230 a.m. And uh, we fly out. And I land in Toronto. 
And that more the next morning, I land in Toronto the next morning, and I get two messages from two different people saying, what's up, I've been praying. One person praying all night. I don't know why. I've been praying all night for you. What's going on? And when I landed, I got the report that the people that we were with at dinner right before I went to the airport are now in bomb shelters because hours after we left, they started firing into Jerusalem. So I literally missed that moment by hours. I would have missed my flight. I wouldn't have been back for Saturday. So I believe that as people of prayer, like he says, pray about everything, we can actually move timelines. We can move things in prayer. We can reshape things in prayer, transform things in prayer. Don't ever forget the power of your prayer life. With prayer and thankfulness, this is how we experience God's peace. And interesting, if you read this uh, in Philippians, like you don't hear a lot of Paul praying to get out of prison. I don't know if you noticed that. We want to escape our trouble all the time, don't we? We don't see a lot of Paul praying in all his prison letters like, God, deliver me from prison so I could be the voice you need me to be. No, no, I'm going to be the voice you need, to me, need me to be while I'm in prison. I'm going to get what God you want to give me while I'm in the crisis. Because you can pray to get out of the crisis, but what if there's treasure in the crisis for you? What if the very thing you're praying to get out of is the very thing you need to stay in so you're a better version of yourself when you get out of it? But if you want to prematurely escape your season because you somehow think that it's going to be better on the other side, actually, you aren't better on the other side. You may feel like it's better on the other side, but your character is not better on the other side. If you can stay in crisis and and struggle and trouble and find out what God wants to do while you're in it, you'll be a better version of yourself when you get out of it. And I would, be, I would propose this, that actually when you're in it, if that's your focus, you'll forget that you're in it. Some people have this ability to live in a season of crisis, but for, in some way, they're living their best life. I mean, I'm downtown Jerusalem it was like the seventh day of Hanukkah, and they're partying on the street at the same time hiding in bomb shelters. My hotel was 98% full of evacuees, mostly like big families, kids everywhere. No tourists. It was a ghost town. No tourists. Evacuees. Jerusalem, all the hotels, almost all the hotels are, evacua- are evacuees from the south to find safety. Somehow, they're celebrating in the midst of being literally kicked out of their homes because of a terrorist threat. How do you, how do you wrestle with that? How do, you, how, do you, how do you live in that tension? Well, let me tell you, when you're in crisis, if you have a perspective, you can still find joy. You can be an encouragement while you're still shackled. You can be an encouragement while you're still in your own prison. People say, well, I can't pray for somebody because I'm not healed. No, you can pray for somebody even when you're sick to be healed. You can pray for somebody to break through when you haven't broken through. Just because you're shackled, this is the enemy will tell you, you're shackled, you're in prison, so he'll shut you up. He'll put you, he'll put you on mute. That's the very time you need to get the loudest because if you can be loud while you're in prison, God will elevate you and he'll accelerate you when you're on the mountain. 
because he can trust you. If you can be the manager of the prison like Joseph was, you could be the manager of the palace one day that Joseph was. But if you can't manage your prison season, you'll never manage your palace one. Very important that we understand this in this season of our life because we're in crisis. Some of us are in crisis. We're in worry. And there's a war over the worry. But the war is this for you right now to change your mindset. Change the way you think about it. Man, I love it. In, 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 in Philemon one one of the, Paul's prison letters says this, one more thing, please prepare a guest room for me for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. You notice he didn't say my prayers. You've been praying for me to get out. I'm hoping, hey, I'm hoping, man, that he's going to answer your prayers. But while I'm here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you. While I'm here, I'm going to encourage you. While I'm here, I'm going to strengthen you. Isn't that powerful? Number two, write this down. We have prayer and thankfulness. Number two, focus on what is good. Don't ignore the bad, but let your focus and your meditations be on what is good. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What's worthy of, of praise in your life? Think about those things. That's what he's saying. What's worthy of praise? I got a job. I'm still alive. I'm healthy. I may not be 100% healthy, but I'm still living. I have family. I have friends. What do you have to be thankful for? What's worthy of praise in your life? Focus on those things. Don't focus on what is not happening. I heard this quote. It's an anonymous quote. I don't know where I found it years ago. The quote was this. Sometimes the reason that you're suffering is because you won't let go of the thing that's biting you. Sometimes the reason that you're suffering is because of a choice that you're making to let it keep biting you. There comes a point where you have to, like, let it go. Quoting Queen Elsa, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. Things that are holding on to you, you got to let it go. You're like, well, you don't know what I've been through. I don't know what you've been through. But at some point... At the end of your life, you're going to regret that you didn't let, it go of it, didn't let go of it sooner. At some point, you'll get to your deathbed, and you'll wonder what the years could have been if you just let that bitterness go a little sooner. I, knew, I know way too many bitter older people and younger people and middle-aged people that keep blaming everything else for why they can't be and do what they're called to do. At some point, there has to be a choice that you make. You might feel the effects of it all your life, but you don't have to let it keep biting you. And that could be a real battle. I mean, it could be a real cause for depression and other forms of oppression. But let me ask you this question. How much of your state of worry is simply because you won't let things go? What if your worry is entirely wrapped around things that you're just not letting go? Man, I've, I've had to do that. I, I've had some major realizations in the last five years of my own journey of things that I didn't even know that I hadn't let go of. And just, you know, the, the hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Like you, you need to kind of move through in time to be able to look back and say, okay, now I understand what was really going on here. 
There were things that I thought were happening that actually weren't happening. Now that I'm out of it, I realize, okay, that's that. And it wasn't what I thought. Right? And sometimes when you're in it, you, you get strapped to it and you can't let it go. But when you're out of it, you realize, man, it's actually not as bad as I thought it was while I was in it. And I'm actually somehow a better person because I've gotten through it. And I, wanna, I don't want to let anything hold me down moving into 2024. I don't know about you. But I know there's some things that have held me down in the past. Hurts, some history, things that have taken place. I don't want to let those things rob me of the future. I can see doors opening. I can see new pathways opening in my own life. And I'm like, I don't want to drag those things into those new pathways. Because they'll slow me down. God is giving me a glimpse of the future. And I'm like, God, I don't want that to hold me down. So I got to let it go. I got to let it go. Focus on what is good. When we focus on what is good, it's like we're releasing these things from holding us any longer. That's how you let them go. By focusing on what is good in your life. Number three, write this down. Number three, practice what you believe. That's a big one, right? Can we do that next year? Can you practice what you believe? Man, I don't want to do church. I don't, you know, to me, like, I don't want to do, I want to be the church. Very different than doing church. First of all, you can't even do church because church is the people, but we, 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 we live like we're just doing church by just going through the routine, never practicing what we believe. Practice what you believe. You say you believe something, practice it. Put the reps in, go to the gym. This is one of the gyms. Sunday morning is one of the gyms for people. Connect groups is one of the gyms. Your personal prayer life is one of the gyms. It's all your personal fitness, your, your spiritual fitness. You got to be spiritually fit if you're going to make it to the end. Are you hearing me? If you spend all your time investing in yourself, everything outside of spirituality, that really matters. When you die, <laughs> the eternal you is living on. Nothing temporal is living on, just so you know. You're not bringing your checkbook. You're not bringing your cash with you, your cars or anything else. You're bringing the eternal part of you. So why spend so much time investing in the temporal part of you when it's the eternal part of you that's going to live forever? So go to the spiritual gym, work out, put the reps in. Don't be a pansy. I've been saying that all week, all, all last, last month. Don't be a pansy in your faith. Put the reps in. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, Keep, listen to this, Paul's saying this, while he's in prison, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Keep putting into practice. Then he says this, then the God of peace will be with you again. You'll experience God's peace. Wow. Not just by like, oh, I have God's peace. Yeah, you can experience God's peace anyway. I can experience God's peace. But when I'm living the life I've called to live and I'm putting in the reps every day, and I'm leaning in, man, I'm walking in God's peace. You hear what I'm saying? I'm going to walk in God's peace into a war zone because I put the reps in before because I'm putting into practice what I believe. I believe that God speaks, so God spoke. I leaned in. I surrendered to his voice, and I can trust him now that when I go over there in a war zone, I'm going to have peace. Let me just tell you, because when I was putting on that bulletproof vest in a field, hearing bombs go off all, all around me in machine gun fire, I was feeling a little bit of a lack of peace in my head. But somehow, as I was putting that vest on, I was feeling the peace inside. I couldn't explain it to you. 
Because I knew I was in the right place at the right time. Because I knew that God had led me there. If God leads you to it, he will lead you through it. Always. Always. So put the reps in. It's like a spiritual discipline. I'm, man, I'm challenged with this all the time. Like, I speak, right? I, I travel around the world. I speak, and we have a church, and, and I, this is what I do so much of. I speak. I teach the Word. Man, I am conflicted all the time, every day of my life, to put into practice what I preach. Maybe, maybe you don't have the same feeling because you're not preaching it, but you say you believe it. Maybe you talk about it. But I feel an extra sense of weight as somebody who's responsible, who's been given a stewardship in the role that I have and responsibility, man, it's convicting everywhere I go. I'm always leaning in. Man, I was in, the, I was in, the, in, in, in a, me, a private meeting with the deputy mayor of Jerusalem just last week, and I'm like, I'm leaning in. I'm like, God, I'm putting into practice what I speak, man. You've, you've told me to, to, to prophesy and to minister and to pray for our leaders, so I'm leaning in while she's talking. God, give me a word. Give me a word, so I get a word. You know, there's like 11 of us, 11 of us in this room. And I could just see as I stepped out and prophesied over the deputy mayor. Of, I don't even know what she believes. But the, after, the, after the word I gave to her, I had a word about one of her daughters. I didn't even know she had a daughter. After the word I gave her, she looks at me and she says, that's the second time somebody's told me that. And all these leaders around me are watching this. And for me, it's like, it's not just about me putting in the reps in. It's for other people to see, hey, this is what spiritual fitness looks like. You say you have God on the inside. Step out and steward opportunities that are put in front of you. I've had so many opportunities to minister to people that, like, have major influence. And I'm like, God, if I can be in the room with them, I know you can speak. Is it scary sometimes? Absolutely. But that's the role we're called to have as believers, to put the reps in. Practicing what we believe. Stretch your spiritual muscles in the church and then work them out in public. That's the word for you. You stretch your spiritual muscles in church. You do the yoga stretch. You pull the muscle. And then you're ready to go work them out in public. That's the role of the kingdom and everybody in this room. You know that? If you're a believer in Jesus, your role is to stretch in the church each week. You stretch. So you can go out into your workplace and actually practice it in the workplace. If you're not doing that, listen, you're losing opportunity every single day. And we're going to have a bunch of skinny little pansy believers that say they believe, but there's no muscle on them. The way you grow muscle is you go into the workplace and you actually bring out what you believe and you impart it there. That's how you build muscle in the spirit. Are you hearing this this morning? Man, let this be a fiery kind rebuke for us moving into 2024. Let it be a fiery, kind, gentle rebuke moving into next year. Can that be that? Can it be that? Number four, write this down. I'm almost done. This is the last point. Number four. Number four. Giving where there is need. If you want to wage war on worry, give where there is need. Because what happens is when you do that, when you give, when you plant seed, when you give, maybe it's your time, maybe it's gift, maybe it's, it's finance, whatever it is, give. When you do that, you end up partnering in faith with whatever it is that you're giving t- towards and for. And somehow it shifts the perspective. And I'm going to show it to you here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. 
He says this, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me. But you didn't have the chance. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. And he goes on. And go to verse uh, 13. For now I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Verse 14. Even so, listen to this. You have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. In my present difficulty. One of the greatest ways to renew your thinking is to be there for someone else's crisis. Because all of a sudden it makes your crisis feel that much less. You know what I'm talking about? If you're worried about all this stuff, you're worried about this and that, and you, like for me, coming back to Canada after being there only for five days, not even, not even five days, coming back, you, 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 by sharing in their present difficulty, by giving my time and my money and my gifts, by sharing in their present difficulty, somehow it makes all the worry go away. You get what I'm saying? About my own Canadian worries. You, you follow me? The things that I worried about while in Canada all of a sudden are diminished because I'm somewhere else sharing in someone else's difficulty. This is the power of showing up for somebody. To give where there is need. To give where there is need. Man. To give means to give a share of. And when we, when we give a share of in return, the burden or the need we are giving to, almost we begin to share in that same thing with others. I want you to stand up with me as we close here. I want you to close your eyes just for a few moments. Maybe you're in this room and, you know, there's, there's nothing more important than making a decision this morning to let Jesus be the leader in your life. There's nothing more important than that. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And I just want to give you an opportunity because there's people in this room that maybe you're sitting on the fence. I want you to close your eyes just for a few moments. You're sitting on the fence. Like, you're here for a reason. I'm not just talking about in Ottawa. I'm talking about here this morning, in this house. Maybe you're watching online. Wherever you're watching or listening from, maybe you're listening on the podcast, whatever it is. You're here, you're listening, you're in this moment for a reason because God is provoking you to wake up a little bit because there's more for you there's way more for you there's way more for than you, for, for you than you realize there's way more for you than you've ever thought when it comes to your spiritual life and what God has for you and and but the most important part of all of that is that you have a relationship with the God who cares about you who gave his life for you who died on a cross over 2,000 years ago to set you free from yourself to set you free from the sin that entangled you to set you free but to also through his resurrection, give you brand new life. You're in this room for a reason, for a purpose, and God has a plan for you. And I just want to pray that 2023, you would close this out by getting off of the fence and saying, hey, in 2024, I want to be like where I'm supposed to be. I want to stop just going through the hamster wheel of being dull and, and callous in my heart and fearful and just... Maybe, I don't know, I don't know what's holding you down. I don't know what the weight is that's holding you down, but you do. Let this morning be the start of an unraveling of whatever it is that's holding you down so you can move into 2024 strong, powerful. The real version of you, the one that's putting up in the reps in the marketplace, the one that's going into their job, into their neighborhood, and actually like expressing their faith. Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing that you can do. You have the cure for spiritual cancer. Go share it with the world. 
So Holy Spirit, I pray that if there's anybody in this room right now, that you would highlight them. Just provoke them in their heart right now, that they would get off the fence in this season. You said in your word in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he's raised from the dead on the third day, we will be saved, transformed, set free, brand new, that we, you call us a new creation, brand new. I pray for that to happen today in people's lives. Maybe you've been on the fence, you've been on the fence, you've been around religion, but you would say, I don't really feel like I have a relationship with God. That's what he's inviting you into this morning. You can't have a relationship with God or a relationship with anyone if you're sitting on the fence. So today it's time to get off the fence. And maybe you're in this room right now, just with every eye closed, just for a few moments. God cares about this moment. I want you to make a commitment that in 2024 you're going to get off the fence. No, in fact, today you're going to begin the process of getting off the fence. So if that's you, if you feel like, man, you resonate with that, like, I want to get off the fence today in my faith. I want to journey this relational journey with God, the one who created me. I want you just to boldly, without anybody, who cares what people think, just put your hand up. Just put your hand up. Awesome. Awesome. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Just to be in, to be in, off the fence. Just put your hand up. Like, putting your hand up is simply an outward expression of an invisible uh, surrender. Just saying, God, like, I, I've been on the fence for way too long. Or maybe I'm just recently realizing that I'm on the fence. I pray that in 2024, this would be a new day for you in Jesus' name. A new day for you. Brand new day for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to move in people's hearts right now. That you would show them yourself right now. Let your power come over their bodies right now. Let your power come over their bodies right now. Maybe there's sickness. Maybe there's issues in the body right now. Let your power come over their bodies right now. Begin to touch their bodies. Maybe there's a, 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 a disease that needs to be healed, a tumor. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you'd release healing right now into the body in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, begin to work in them. Begin to, begin to alter the way that they think about themselves. Help them to see themselves the way that you see them in this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up doors next year. Open up doors even before the end of this year. Doors of opportunity. Doors where they would see light at the end of the tunnel of their dark season. I pray that this would be a time, beginning today, that there would be a shift of the tide. That the sails would begin to move in the right direction away from the wrong one, and that, God, they would move in with strength in 2024 in Jesus' name. God, do it. Do it. Do it. God, you're worthy of our best. You're worthy of our best in 2024. You're worthy of our best. We honor you. We honor you.